This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Uh, Acts chapter 13, if you'll find your Bible and, um, and, or, or else use your, your, your device and go to YouVersion and, uh, and use it that way, uh, but I hope you'll follow along. With us, we're in a series. This is the uh, third message in this series called Turn the World Upside Down. We're following the story of the original missionaries in Christianity when they took off at the beginning of Acts chapter 13 from Syria, Antioch in Syria, and left and went on that first trip. And we're on that first missionary journey right now. We haven't gotten very far uh, with them, but we're continuing to learn about what it takes to be missional and to be evangelistic and, and learning some great lessons. So we're going to pick up today where we left off two Sundays ago. By the way, last week was an awesome Sunday, wasn't it? We, we baptized five and we had seven new partners come into our church and just we're celebrating what God's doing, but I really believe God wants to do more. And we're going to talk about today as we look at this, there's some lessons for us to learn to see how God wants us to live and share his gospel. Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul are in now a city, another city called Antioch, city of about 50,000 in Asia Minor. And they had, last time that we saw, they went into a, it was Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue, they were given an invitation to teach, and they shared with this Jewish congregation in Antioch something that they had never heard before. And that was this, hey, the one you've been waiting for, the one our people have been waiting for since our father Abraham, Messiah, has come. Not only did he come, he lived a perfect life, he died an unjust death, and he rose again from the dead that we might have everlasting life. And they shared the gospel for the very first time in this city. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. Nobody ever will be in heaven because they never heard the gospel or read the gospel because nobody will ever be there that someone along the line had not shared with them the truth of Jesus Christ. Nobody will stumble. Nobody will wake up in the land of glory and go, what in the world is this? How did I get here? Because everyone that knows Jesus will be expecting to be there, but no one will be there who does not know Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, the scripture tells us, and they've got to hear. Has to be shared, has to be explained. People have to be given the opportunity to accept Christ and have eternal life. Somebody's got to tell them. And God has made that somebody to tell them, you and me. We are that somebody to share the gospel with others. The gospel's in our hands and in our hearts to give away as Paul and Barnabas did 2,000 years ago. I want you to pick up with me in verse 42. Let's start reading there. And they, as they were leaving, Barnabas and Paul, leaving the synagogue, the people begged that these matters be presented to them the following Sabbath. Come back next Saturday, please. After the synagogue had been dismissed, service is over, Many of the Jews and devout proselytes, the devout proselytes are Greeks, they are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Many of these devout proselytes, they had come into Judaism, had become Jews, if you will, out of Gentile background, and they were devout, they were serious about it. They swarmed Paul and Barnabas. 
and they followed them. And Barnabas and Paul, who were speaking with them as they're leaving and persuading them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. Now again, it's a town of about 50,000. I don't know if Luke is speaking evangelistically or what he's doing, but that's a lot of people. If he says almost the whole town showed up on Saturday to hear the message of the Lord. But the Jews saw the crowds and they said, man, we never had this many people come to synagogue before because it was packed. It was standing room only. They opened the windows so that everybody outside and there's a great crowd outside could hear. They turned the speakers out the doors so that people could hear outside. I mean, it was a whole, everybody's out there. And the Jews looked around and said, this has never happened before. And instead of being excited, they got what? The Jews, when they saw the crowds, were filled with jealousy. And began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. And then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, it was necessary, had to be, that God's message be spoken to you, you Jews, first. But since you reject it and continue, consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Well, there are Gentiles inside and outside, and it turns into like, like, like your favorite team scored uh, in the Super Bowl. Because the Gentiles suddenly began to rejoice. We turn to the Gentiles, for this is what God has commanded us. And he quotes from Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 6. I have made a light for you. This is God speaking through Isaiah, through the prophet. I've made a light. I've made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord, the gospel, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So the message of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Let's stop there, verse 49. Let's let's grab some points out of this, some things that we can apply to us. Number one is this. As you're sharing the gospel, Paul and Barnabas were sharing the gospel. Number one lesson I want us to understand as you're you're being a missionary in your home, in your community, at your workplace, in your school, be patient. You can't force belief. You can't force belief. Now, Let me talk about that a little bit. Where do I share the gospel? First of all, anywhere is a good place to share the gospel. Anywhere. As they were walking away from the synagogue, service is over, they're going outside, they're heading down the sidewalks and the street. Paul and Barnabas are going, where do you want to go? Okay, we ate Western Sizzling last week. Where do you want to go today? And so they're, they're you know, thinking about where they're going to go out to eat, and there is this crowd that swarms them, and they don't say, listen, and they're saying, please come back next week, and Paul and Barnabas are saying, well, we'll be back next week, but let us share a little bit more with you right now. So as they're walking down the street, they continue to share the gospel with them. There's this misperception among Christian people that, hear me, listen to me, I'm going to be very kind when I say this. There's a misperception that for us as we grow older in Christ becomes an excuse. That sharing the gospel is really, it's a Sunday thing. The sharing the gospel is something we leave up to the pastor to do. 
Even though the people asked to hear more the next Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas used the streets to be their place of evangelism, and they shared as they walked. They continued their preaching with them. Another point that I want to bring out is this. As you share the gospel, remember this. God does the saving, not us. God does the saving. Why do you say that, Rick? Because so many times in my life, I have shared the gospel with somebody that, that I knew was, you know, I just knew because they, they communicated that in one way or another, that they didn't know Christ. And, and I understand what the Bible says, that if somebody doesn't know Christ and they die, they go to hell forever. I understand that. And I've shared the gospel with people, and I've wanted so badly for them to say, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. But maybe they're not there yet. Maybe their heart's not yet prepared. Maybe that's not ready to happen in their lives, and I want to get that profession of faith out of them one way or another, and I push it harder than I should. You can't force anybody to believe God does the saving. Sometimes we want them to believe and be saved so bad that we pressure them to do something that they're not really ready to do. And and so to make me happy, to make you happy, or really to get us off their backs, they make a quote-unquote, okay, yeah, what what do I need to say? What do I need to pray? And they'll make a quote-unquote profession of faith, and that really may not be real. They just said it so you'll leave them alone. And then we wonder, months, weeks, a year or two, why have they dropped, why have they gone? Why why aren't they, Christ is not real to them. What happened? Why why did they fall away? Why did they walk away from their faith? Well, maybe they never really were ready to be saved yet, but we pushed things on them. Don't do that. God does the saving. Not us. What is my task? My task, your task, is to share the gospel clearly. See, what we are, we are, if we can envision and look at it as being a farmer, we're seed planters. Plant the seed. Remember Jesus' parable of the soils? The guy, the farmer went out and he put some seed out in different kind of soils. We're seed planters. We may be seed waterers. After maybe somebody else has planted the seed, we may come back and, and by something we say, how we live, we're water, putting water on that seed. But, but we're, we're to share the gospel clearly. I would encourage you to go back and listen to, a, on, pod, on one of our podcasts, a conversation that Sam Knight and I had. It was on January 20, 2012. You got this information in your notes, but go back to our podcast on our website and listen as Sam and I sat up here and we had a conversation about John 3, 16. And we just as clearly and plainly as we could said, here's what Bit by bit, we went through that verse. What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that and, and see if there's not something there that will help you as you share the gospel clearly. Another thing we can learn from this passage of Scripture and the verses we just read is this. And I, I've seen this happen so many times. God has people prepared to hear me share the gospel. He's got people out there that you work with, that you go to school with, in your neighborhood, where you hang out, he's got people whose hearts are ready. 
They're just waiting for somebody to come and tell them how to know God, how to find eternal life, how to have their sins forgiven. They're waiting for that. Many of them, it said, but it doesn't say all of them. But, and and here's, the, here's what we have to remember as we share the gospel. Sometimes it is many. Sometimes many will believe. You kind of get on a roll. Sometimes it's few who believe. Sometimes it's a long time before someone believes. I told the story the last, last uh, gathering. Um, when I was 17, I was a senior in high school, and, uh, and, and I, I, I witnessed about everything that moved, you know. And I, I just saw my, my mission in life was to, was, to, was to win Mount Vernon High School to Jesus. And, uh, and, and so I began to, I just shared the gospel with a lot of people. And, and I found out that there was a young lady who was in my class who was going through some real difficult times and, and contemplating ending her life. And, and, you know, I just, I felt bad for her. So I did something that I never advise young people to do. But I did it. And that was, I went on a missionary date. You know, I'm going to take this girl out who doesn't know Jesus so that I can win her to Jesus. Usually that's not a good idea, you know, that we date somebody out of the faith. I say, don't go there, young people. But I did. I took this young lady, and we went out on a date. And, um, and, and as I don't remember, we went, I don't, we went roller skating or something, you know. And, and, and I remember before the evening was over, I, I, we went out to get something to eat, and at the table in the, in the restaurant where we were eating, I shared Jesus with her. I told her the gospel, because I knew she was hurting inside. And I wanted so bad for Monica to believe. Oh, God, if she would just right now accept Jesus, that would, I would just kind of be floating in the clouds. This would be the coolest thing ever. And I could go back and tell all my youth pastors, you see, missionary dating does work. She didn't. And I was disappointed, and I, you know, I wondered, gosh, Lord, what could I have said different? How could I have done this differently? Maybe I didn't tell her the right verses. Maybe I should have prayed harder. What, you know, on and on and on. Like it was all dependent on who? She didn't accept Christ. Well, some period of time went by, and I, didn't, I, don't, I don't think I, I, I dated her anymore. Um, I can't remember now. I dated so many girls back then. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> you laugh. Um, some period of time went by, and it was toward the end of the school year, and, and, and I, w- I remember I was near the cafeteria and going through some double doors like this that were open. The bell rang, and we were going by. And, and Monica was, I saw Monica coming this way, and I was coming that way, and she stopped, and she, and she, and she kind of grabbed out to me and grabbed me, hold of me, and she said, she, and I knew she had gone, uh, she was in German, took German in school, and, and the German class had gone on a field trip to Germany. And she stopped me, and she said, Rick, I did it. You know, I'm clueless. I said, what did you do? I asked Jesus to be my savior. And she told me how on that field trip in Germany in a hotel room all by herself. I didn't have to be there. But I had planted seed. And in that hotel room in another continent she accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. 
taught me a lesson that it doesn't have to happen. I can't force it. I can't make it happen. And, and that's an important lesson for us to learn. William Carey was a pioneer missionary in the, in the late 1700s. He went to India and he spent seven years in India before he saw his first convert. Do you think he was discouraged? Probably so. But when that first Indian accepted Jesus as Savior, how do you think he reacted? This is why I came, God. This is why you put me on this earth, was to lead this one person to come and know Jesus as Savior. I'm ready to go now. He was that excited about it, I'm sure. When God is in control, we don't have to stress that lots of people might respond to faith in Christ. We don't have to stress if hardly anyone responds to faith in Christ. If God is in control, let's let God figure that out. Well, the Bible tells us here that the, the people spread the word. These folks that had heard Paul and Barnabas teach, and, and they began to tell others about the new message of Christ. They were like Andrew in Jesus' story in, the, in, in Luke, or excuse me, in John chapter 1. You know, Andrew, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. We know him more as Peter. He found his brother and told him, hey, we found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. How did Peter become a Christian? His brother brought him to Christ. Or like the woman at the well in Samaria, the, John writes, the, then the woman left her water jar. She had gone out of town to fill up her water jar at the well in the middle of the day by herself because she was a reject from society because of the lifestyle that she lived. The other women in town wouldn't associate with her. So she came out there, she met Jesus. Jesus shares the gospel with him, tells her who he is. She gets so excited that she leaves her water jug at the well and goes back into town. Ladies, it's like you going to the to food line and filling up your basket with groceries and somebody tells you something so excited, you've paid for your groceries and you leave them there and get in the car and go. She left her water jug at the well, it says, went into town and told the men. The woman wouldn't listen to her, by the way. She told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, many Samaritans, John says, from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Luke says that almost the whole town showed up that next Saturday, and this wasn't a small town. And, and I wonder, church, Think with me here. I like to imagine. I like to dream. I wonder what would happen this week if you told every person you came in contact with, listen, I want to tell you the most incredible story I've ever heard. It has changed my life. And if you told them, hey, you know what? If you'll come back, uh, if you'll come next Sunday to Nags Head Church, you can even hear more about it. I wonder if all, let's just say this morning at Nags Head Church in these two gatherings, let's, say, let's just say 250 of us that sat in this room. If all 250 of us, with every person I came, you came in contact with all week long, you said those words. The most amazing thing has happened to me. It's changed my life. How about coming with me next Sunday and you can hear more about this amazing story. Maybe you share your story with them. 
If all 250 people who came to this service did that, and every person you came in contact, I don't know how many people I'll come in contact with this week. 50? 100? I don't know. Because I'm all about and everywhere, here and there, and doing this every day. Let's just say on an average, we all, 250 of us, came in contact with 50 people. Somebody tell me how many people that is. Anybody real smart? No, nobody that smart? I don't know either, but it's thousands. Thousands. Ten times 250 is 2,500. Multiply that by five. Is that right? 10,000 people? What in the world would happen if next Sunday we came to open the doors and not only the parking lot full, they're parked all the way down the street and up and in the post office and mulligans can't open because the Christians are there. And, and we have just, you know, we're traffic jamming the whole thing for people who want to come here about the Messiah who has changed your life. You say, well, that could never happen. Why not? It happened there. It happened there. Those people are no better than you and me. What would happen? It's what happened in, in Anak. Listen, let me ask a question, because I'm guilty just as so many of you. How is it that you and I can go on Facebook and we can tell everybody where the cheapest place in town is to buy gas and be all excited about it? Or we can put a picture of what we had for lunch today in the restaurant and be all excited about it. But when it comes to telling people how to not go to hell, we, we're very quiet. How is that? There will be people God has prepared. There will also be those who reject the gospel. These Jews, many of them rejected the gospel, and we have to realize rejection has eternal consequences. God has made Christ the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. Peter preached in Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, no other name given to people by which we must be saved. You see, if I reject Jesus, if somebody rejects Jesus, even if you're married to that person or the father or the mother or the son or the daughter of that person, if that person rejects Jesus and they have not accepted him as Savior, they won't spend eternity with you in, in heaven. When you reject him, you reject eternal life. And Paul points out that as men, we do have a free will to reject Christ. What a sad, sad choice that is to make. People reject Christ for many different reasons. Some have other religions. Some deny they're good enough or think they're good enough to make it without Christ. Some deny Jesus is God. Some deny there even is a God. There's all kinds of choices why people reject, but some will. But, and then there will be some who oppose. Not only will they reject and say, no thanks, there will be some that will work against you. The Jews saw the crowds coming to hear the gospel. More people than they had ever seen show up on a Saturday for a service, and it made the synagogue leaders jealous, and jealousy can be an awful thing. It drives people sometimes to rage. For example, in marriage, Proverbs says, jealousy enrages a husband, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Their jealousy would lead them to another step, and that is the persecution of the missionaries. So they, how they do that? They started with insults, mockery to attack the missionaries. You've heard the insults. If you've ever witnessed to very many people who, especially those who really don't want to listen 
You've heard the insults. Well, you know what? Your faith is nothing. You, you're talking about you're, Jesus to you is just a crutch. You ever hear that? Just a crutch. Hey, I heard somebody recently say, I'd rather limp into heaven with a crutch than go into hell with two good feet. You know, if, if I need Jesus, and I do, to hold me up, that's okay. I don't mind saying, yeah, you're right. He's, he's, not, he's my crutch in every single way, in every way he is. But people... They'll insult you with that. They'll say things like, it takes a weak mind to believe in something you can't prove. All you church people, you all just hypocrites. And, well, there's a lot of truth to that, I would think. But to be a missionary means you better have some thick skin. You very well may be verbally attacked. But remember this. If you're going to be a missionary... You're going to communicate the gospel in your, your community, in your town, to your friends, your neighbors. Realize, remember, that you're only responsible for your response. I'm only responsible for my response only. These, these guys, Paul and Barnabas, they were obedient when they first went to the Jews. And, you know, you read the story and you think, well, why did they waste time? Didn't God know that these Jews would reject and oppose? And the answer is, of course he did. But God is faithful to his promises, and God's faithful to his covenants, and he made a promise to Abraham, Father Abraham, the very first of the Jewish people. He made a promise to him, and he's going to keep that promise, and he has a very special place, I believe, still in his plan for them. And I believe the day will come still when Christ, with Christ's return, when the Jewish people in mass will turn to Christ as their Redeemer and Savior. Romans 11, 26 and 27, Paul wrote, and in this way all Israel will be saved. He's speaking of a future moment. As it is written, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, the liberator, the Messiah, will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob, Jacob meaning Israel, the Jewish people, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Remember, from last week, they went to the synagogues because the gospel was to go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That quote in verse 47 from Isaiah is actually a quote not about Paul and Barnabas, not about you and me specifically. Really, it was about Christ in the context. You will be a light to the Gentiles, Messiah. But Paul says, let's take that as, and apply it to us. Why? Because we are Christ's voice. We are Christ's hands, his feet. We are his representatives, his ambassadors on this earth. This is about us too. Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light on the world of the world. You take the lamp and you put it on a hill so everyone can see it. That's you. And this opening the way to, uh, to God, to the Gentiles, really angered these unbelieving Jews because they felt, hey, whoa, 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 where are you going? We're God's chosen people. These Gentiles, talking about you and me, by the way, they're not worthy to have a relationship with Almighty God. And it made them mad. But when it made the Jews mad, and Paul said, so we're going to the Gentiles, it made the Gentiles glad. They got excited about that. They began to rejoice and glorify the gospel and believe. We don't know how many believe. We don't know that all of them believed. But it doesn't make any difference. It's in God's control how many believed. 
then my faith in Christ is to be shared, not kept private. Verse 49 says, So the message of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, not by Paul and Barnabas, but by all these new believers in Jesus. It's not kept private. I hear so many people say about their faith, they say, well, that's between me and God. It's a private thing, and I want to say to you, wrong, wrong, wrong. It is not private. It is personal. And by that I mean you're not going to heaven because your daddy was a Christian, because your uncle was a deacon, because your mama was a God-serving woman. You're not going to heaven because of somebody else's faith. The faith that will get you to heaven in Jesus Christ has to be yours. There has to be a time when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. So it is very personal, but it is not private. It's to be spread and shared with all the people in this world. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we're talking about this passage today. They took what they heard, the message that had, been, had given them eternal life with God. They took it to their friends and their family. They spread the gospel throughout the whole region, it says. And you think about it. The gospel was unknown to this part of the world up until this time. It was new good news. Verse 50. We stop there. Read that verse with me. But the Jews incited the prominent women. You want to get something started? Get started with the women. Just the way it is. Good or bad. Get the women on it and things will happen. They incited the prominent women, these women who worship God, and the leading men of the city. The unbelieving Jews, and there's no reason to think that some Jews didn't believe. I believe many did, but most did not. But anyway, the Jews in the city of Antioch, it's a Gentile city, they're the minority. So they had to enlist some help from the town's influential citizens, the prominent women who worship God. They got them, they incited them to oppose the missionaries. By the way, that thing, that phrase that they worship God means that they were probably Gentile women who were following the Jewish traditions, but like the Jews, they were rejecting Jesus, the Son of God. They were worshiping God. They were very sincere in their worship, but they were sincerely wrong. Sincerely on the wrong side. There's a growing sentiment today, by the way, even among some evangelical Christians, that, hey, you know what? All faiths are equal. All those Buddhists in China, God's going to see they get to heaven. All those Muslims in the Middle East who believe in Mohammed, all those Hindus who believe in cows, God's going to see them all get to heaven some way because all religions are equal. Let, let me say, let me respond to that with just this thought. If all faiths are equal, then Jesus was wrong when he said, I am the only way to God. And I believe we can learn from this, and not just the women, but the men. I, this, I can worship the one true God and still be at work against him. I'll give these um, women the benefit of the doubt that they really weren't well-versed in the Scriptures yet. They were ignorant. They were incited probably with fear and fabrications and conspiracy theories, you Facebook addicts. by the Jewish opposition that fed them these things. And ultimately, however, we need to realize that any opposition against Christ and his church, where does it originate? It originates from hell, originates with Satan, the enemy of Christ. 
Verse 51 is an interesting verse. But they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium, traveled to it, and they left. Antioch went to another city. They shook the dust off their feet against them. When they were rejected by the Jews, they literally took their feet and they're walking on dusty dirt roads and shook the dust. Hey, Jews. And turned to walk away. And we hear that and we go, well, that wasn't very Jesus-like. Jesus would have never done that. What Jesus are you talking about? Because the Jesus they followed in Luke chapter 9 said this to his disciples as he was sending him out two by two, if they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. I like tough Jesus, don't you? Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Last big point here is mission control is in God's hands. Despite the opposition and being forced out of town, two things happened, and these two things are connected. It says, number one, they were filled with joy. Number two, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We sang a song earlier. It said, Holy Spirit, come fill us now. What does fill mean? The idea of filling in the New Testament is the idea of control. You remember on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon those 120 in that upper room, and they began to speak in all these languages of all the people outside the building who had come to to Jerusalem for that feast, and they're hearing these Galileans speak in languages. I mean, they did not have Rosetta Stone, and they were speaking in these languages fluently. And some of the people outside, this makes no sense at all, said, Hey, you know what's going There's a bunch of drunks up there. They're filled with new wine, is what someone said. What are they saying? They're being controlled by alcohol, was what they were saying about them. When someone's drunk, you ever been around someone's drunk? Stop, don't elbow that person next to you. You ever been around someone? Come on now, that's not nice. And we've seen your Facebook pictures, by the way. When someone's drunk, hello, they'll sometimes say something that's totally out of character for them. They'll say things that they would never say when they're sober. And we'll say, when we hear them say that, the the expression we use is, well, that's the alcohol talking. Oh, you've heard that too. Alcohol doesn't talk. If you think it does, go to the ABC store and hang out one night when they close and just listen. <laughs> listen to the vodka with his Russian accent, you know. <laughs> listen to the gym from Puerto, gin from Puerto Rico. Alcohol doesn't talk, but what alcohol does is alcohol takes control. And that's what they're saying. They're filled with alcohol. So... Using that same concept of filling, Paul writes to the Ephesian church these words in Ephesians 5.18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled instead, if you will, with the Spirit. When alcohol, not the spirits, 
with the Holy Spirit. When alcohol is in control, you do stupid, non-Christian, sometimes deadly things. So Paul instructs us, hey, give control of your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Dump all of me. By the way, I don't have to be drunk to do stupid things. How about you? I don't have to be drunk to say, say stupid things. But if I'm in control of me, I'll do something, say something stupid all the time. So what I need is to empty myself of me and let him fill me up with him. Be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, guess what else you're filled with? Joy. What is joy? Joy is not happiness. Happiness depends on what happens. I come home with a good report card. I'm happy. Mom and dad are happy. I come home with a bad report card. Nobody's happy. Okay? Happiness depends on what happens. Joy is dependent on the Lord who never changes. Joy is dependent on the Lord in spite of what happens. Happiness comes and goes. It's fleeting. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Joy, however, because it's the Lord in the Lord who indwells me and fills me, joy is buried deep within and doesn't let life take it away if it comes from the Lord. And again, Paul, when he was writing to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 22, he said, joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Spirit having control of your life. The takeaway from today's story is found back in verse 49. I want, to, I want us to look at that verse one more time. So the message of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Listen to me. Listen. In fact, bow your heads just for a second. Let me say this to you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. There are people, there are men and women and young people hungry to hear God, hear from God, to hear that God loves them and hear how they can be sure they have eternity in heaven and their sins are forgiven and they're just waiting for somebody like you and me to tell them. Um, other thing I want you to do is stand with me for prayer. <clears throat> Let's bow and, and uh, kind of get alone with God for a second. If you're a Christian today, let me ask you if you would communicate some things to the Lord right now, something that might sound like this. Father, I want to right now give the Holy Spirit control over my fearful heart. I'm going to trust him to give me the boldness to be openly Christian, to share my faith with others. Whether they believe or not is not up to me. It's up to you. So please, Father, prepare those hearts that are in my life, that I work with, that I go to school with, that are in my neighborhood, that I socialize, those people I come in contact with. Lord, would you please prepare hearts to listen and to believe. And Lord, would you help me to trust you in all of this and not to quit if I'm insulted, 
If I'm opposed, if nobody wants to believe, because it's about you and your control. So I ask you to take control over my life. Fill me with your joy. Make me a missionary. Accomplish your will, your commission, build your kingdom through me. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.